Today's show is sponsored by GoCD, a continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. GoCD helps your team release software more frequently, consistently, and reliably. Download and use GoCD for free. Visit gocd.org slash recode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the real know-it-all, but only when I have access to Google. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Noam Cohen, a former New York Times columnist who wrote about the influence of the internet on the larger culture. He has a new book out called The Know-It-Alls, The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and Social Wrecking Ball. Noam, welcome to Recode Decode. Wow, you couldn't have had a more pertinent book come out right now, Mm. essentially. Um, So let's talk a little bit about you, like your your history, so we have some Mm. sense of, of where you came from. Sure. So I um, right. I used to write a column called Link by Link for the Times, and in it, it ran the business section on Mondays, but I often did not write about businesses. I really like writing about Wikipedia, free software. I was really interested in how mm-hmm. technology was affecting society. Right. And this was when? What years? Were you uh, 2008 through probably 2014 mm-hmm. or so. And then I, I, I was coming, becoming clear to me that these issues were, were very important, that to be a critic of Silicon Valley isn't to sort of talk about, like, is our smartphone making us dumb, but, like, mm-hmm. is it threatening our democracy? So mm-hmm. I kind of had felt I had to like deal with where the internet had gone rather than kind of talking about my idealistic views of Wikipedia or Craigslist, things that were not commercial, wouldn't track you. I had to look at what was really going on. And I wanted to answer that question. I had seen that these these big companies and these leaders were really presenting a libertarian view and making it cool in a way that was very scary to me. That it, I kind of knew from my reporting, I'd spent a lot of time with hacker and computer programmers types, and I had a cousin like that. And it was one thing to sort of, in the, in the computer lab, to have these kind of views that kind of hostile to outsiders and very arrogant Another thing to have them running our society, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what made me scared. I wanted to sort of say, how did this happen? How did we get from computers being kind of so a, that was the focus of your column? I to, oh no, the focus of the column was really was about no, it was about link was about how internet was affecting society. So I would write about memes. I was sort of early to write about a lot of things. I think my mm-hmm. wife was was sort of joking that um, it was perfect to have a two year gap for this because like, when I'm writing, it's now on the news. I used to write mm-hmm. about Bitcoin before Bitcoin was a big deal. I wrote about mm-hmm. it as like kind of an abstract idea or. I would write about Twitter before Twitter was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I just was sort of interested and I talked to a lot of a lot of people about what was going on, but I wasn't mm-hmm. really interested in looking at the business side of it. Mm-hmm. So I never was doing that. You were just doing it the societal impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was right after the uh, one of the crashes was in there in, yeah. in the time. And so there was sort of a big boom mm-hmm. and then there was a bust and then there was another big boom and then a slight bust. True. Um, so we were sort of in the the more the the Facebook phase of the internet essentially. True, essentially. I guess. Yeah, and I guess I was really always interested in and, you know, what, is free software going to change the world or not? And, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen, is Wikipedia going to change the world? And I've seen actually how both those movements have been subsumed by Google. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, I guess you would say Amazon, too, for helping uh, these, these smart machines, like, get answers. So sure. Wikipedia, I thought, like, wow, here's this other uh, path. But actually, it's become subsumed. And, you know, now yeah. Wikipedia is mainly used for Google What's results. What's your background? Were you technical? Did no, you I was a history major in college. And mm-hmm. I just, um, yeah, I wrote about, uh, and I, I, know I would write about, you know, well, yeah, I was a history major. And I guess I, I really didn't have no technical background, but I had this cousin who, who a late cousin, who we would answer all my technical questions. He kind of mm-hmm. gave me, he's exactly the same age as Bill Gates. I remember when I was young, always hearing him talk about how Bill Gates, he, the program was terrible. And when it was going on, he never thought that like Microsoft would ever succeed. That it was, mm-hmm. And he was always sort of, he was more of know-it-all than Bill Gates. Yeah. And, 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 and kind of laughed when it sort of took over the world. And uh, yeah. 
that's always a funny thing about these people that when I was doing the research, that they're always each one is saying how the other one is not really that smart. Yeah, I want to get to I want to get to you. Okay, so so you so you had did you have interest in tech or what was the? No, I mean I guess I used some of these stuff. I was more of an idealist. And I look back, I wrote a piece in like 2001 for Dissent that was kind of I worked at a company called Inside.com, right? Mm-hmm. That was an early. Oh my God, you yes, were there? Yes, oh, with David so Carr. You some stories. Yeah. Yes, I do. And and this uh, was for those who don't know. Oh, explain Inside. Oh, Inside.com was this. Um, I guess the most in your, ill-time media. Yeah, I guess it was right time. before the bubble. So they raised yeah. all this money, and then the bubble happened. The point and was the point was to hire these people who were real experts in uh, in various kind of entertainment fields, and uh, it's so an all-star an list. All-star list. But I was an editor. I was yeah. not one of the all-stars, but I helped them. Yeah, in like in publishing, but also in film and in TV. And they they thought they were they actually were very sure. It was it was Kurt Anderson and mm-hmm. uh, my friend Michael Hirshhorn, and they had this idea that. Um, that around the world, there was a, like a segment of the world, you could say that like a senior vice president at Sony was the same in, in, in Japan as the same as someone in New York. And that mm-hmm. they all kind of needed really quick, actionable uh, right. news. And, it, you know, just obviously the timing was terrible. It was a blog. It was a, it was a yeah, it was a blog, brand news article. It was only online only. Of course, the funny thing yeah. is they eventually flipped and did do a print magazine for a little while, too. It was right. like just they were grasping yeah. to try to make it work. Yeah, what so it that, was is a lot of old media people realized the internet. I was around right. for it. I sure, remember sure. it very vividly because um, I'd been covering it since the mid-early 90s, mm-hmm. essentially. And then all of a sudden everyone was like, uh-oh. Uh, this internet thing is a big deal. And then sort of they all tried to figure out a way. And a lot of it was porting a lot of old media stuff onto the Totally. I think they thought that, like, you know, Variety, you know, obviously Variety and uh, I guess Hollywood Reporter, lesser degree, did migrate themselves. They thought, like, hey, we could just, we have an... Almost like we have a chance to to just create a whole new inst- structure that will mm-hmm. leapfrog, kind of the way people, I guess, go right to mobile phones or something. We don't have to right. deal with landlines. They thought they could kind of jump right in right. and become this. Right. And there were ideas of having premium subscriptions, so they're always playing around with lots yeah. of the same ideas today. Yeah, but they they, they focused on the star system. I remember they hired oh for all sure the stars. Yeah, yeah. I think they thought right. They thought yeah. They, yeah. And um, so I was sort of around that. It lasted very you know maybe a year and a half. I did that. So that but I was always I was intrigued to do that because I thought the same way that the internet would be a better delivery system and. Um, so seeing that and seeing that fail and going back to the times and then I guess I always that shows I always was curious about the mm-hmm. potential to but I wasn't thinking about it in such a but you I remember a nerd. thinking you were a techie you were in a techie I was not a techie I remember thinking people saying why are you going to get rich in this I was saying well if I'm going to become a millionaire that means someone who's really doing this thing is going to be a billionaire I don't think they're becoming a billionaire so I'm mm-hmm. not becoming a millionaire right <laughs> they became who billionaires who knew that people could become billionaires become a, yeah. yeah no I, yeah. obviously not yeah. yeah so you after you left inside.com mm. which sort of cratered essentially um, you, and then there was the, the bust you went back mm. to the New York Times and were working for a traditional newspaper totally yeah. so did you did you you know being there I, 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 and the only mm. reason I'm plumbing you huh. on this issue is because I want to talk about what how you feel now is you had interactions with them but you worked for an old what was still a pretty insular old media company at that time definitely I remember I mean yeah it's hard, hard to know how many uh, stories I can tell about the times, but oh, I remember go ahead. One, I, one of the things. No, I mean I'm, it's not that fascinating. But what I one of the ideas I had though was to create an internal wiki in, at the times. I remember mm-hmm. how hard it was to do that because mm-hmm. I was sort of doing editing, and I, I thought like, if you know, in your times, they had incredible rules about style, mm-hmm. which have now I've just you look at now as an outsider and can't even believe the things that I used mm-hmm. to worry about about whether headlines could end with a preposition. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just things that are yeah. just mm-hmm. insane. And uh, so I thought, wow, all these arcane rules, we should just put a, a wiki and we can have them kind of updated and, and deal with with changing times. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was very hard to have that done, let's say. Yeah. It was, a, yeah. I think, you know, it might still exist now, but I was really pushing against do, the Do you remember tide. the first story you wrote in this in this genre? Do you remember what it was about? Um, I do think that maybe this Twitter piece was the first one. Um, 
and it was called like it was about it was about a guy, an early Twitter user who uh, uh, who who was like kind of tweeting about his suicide, and it was mm-hmm. just I, again I wrote it in such an earnest uh, way, and it ran the style section, and it really was not about the business potential. It was like what an weird idea you could kind of have people watch you in real time and. Mm-hmm. And through through these tweets, and I guess I also wrote a very early piece about Wikipedia in 2006, going to one of their conferences, which I always thought was fascinating to go mm-hmm. see the people behind these faces. That's always what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. Actually, ask what mm-hmm. I was trying to accomplish was to say, here's this thing, uh, the internet that's changing everything. Who are the people who are doing it? Who is mm-hmm. the biggest Wikipedia contributor? What does he like? Where? What? Why? Why does he do it? And right. so I would go to these conferences around the world. They'd mm-hmm. be in. You know, Argentina. Helsinki, yeah, they, uh, yeah, no, really very odd places. Like, you know, Alexandria, Egypt, and you get to see in Egypt how many women were there, like how mm-hmm. and how they all were doctors because no one really could be a computer person. It wasn't right. really a profession. So I learned uh, that was kind of what I wanted to put like a human face behind what was going on. Right. Online. And during that period, what was it was a very um, hopeful period because your book is not hopeful. I think it's trying to be hopeful. Well, okay. All right. So we'll talk about that period though because they really oh. were changing the, it was the changing the world zone where they were going to like everything was going to be better brought to you by the internet essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, because I think, you know, obviously you were, uh, right. I, and clearly I'm party to uh, some of that of the real enthusiasm of mm-hmm. thinking that like the Arab Spring was was caused by, um, by, by these social by network tools. Yeah, Twitter. And I think about it, I also did a profile of Evgeny Morozov, I remember doing, mm-hmm. and just thinking how he was so instinctively negative about everything. I, thought, I was sort of telling him as a wise old man, like, to be instinctively negative is just as predictable as being instinctively positive. Uh, but I think, retrospect, he was definitely onto something. I remember, and um, so I do think that I was probably, yeah, more optimistic about things. I didn't, I mean, things had taken a turn, so it wasn't like I just mm-hmm. was blind, but I didn't quite see how it would become so consolidated. I kind of believed the, the hype that, the structure of it would lead to competition and mm-hmm. that, you know, that Google wants openness. So that means there's going to be an open system. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that like that could mean that there'd be only a handful of yeah. power players. Yeah, it was interesting. Someone was asking me about that recently. And I said, you know, Microsoft controlled by controlling everything and Google controls by controlling nothing. Like right. it's a different way, but it's the same result. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's kind of an analogy I always think of as like the British Navy kind of they just wanted open seas. Mm-hmm. You know, we happen to control the seas, but we just believe in open seas. Right, right, right. You can't have rules about seas. So, so you, mm-hmm. you write that column, you write about all the different mm-hmm. trends that were happening. What among those trends do you think was the most important and sort of points to today and what you're writing about? Uh, I mean, what trends I should have been seeing that were showing no, the no, consolidation? No, no, what, what, what struck your fancy at that moment? Um, it was like things, like things like Wikipedia, things where people could collaborate together where I guess it would be very unstructured. And mm-hmm. um, I think free software was really interesting to me. And mm-hmm. um, the idea that, you know, yeah, that it could be a non-commercial path. I think Craigslist was another one. I, mm-hmm. I always was had this idealistic, I kind of my background was always to be interested in utopias. So I, I was more... Which is I a kind big of, thing they were pushing, you know. Yeah, and I was very open for that. I didn't see the, I just didn't see the turn coming. I was very open for that idea that this was like, could be new rules. It could right. be new... New things so, on any, in any area of anything. In any area. And that like, you know, sure, how amazing is it to have all the books uh, available to Sir? I certainly use it that way. But then you start thinking, wow, what do authors think about their books being in there? Mm-hmm. But I was definitely right. open to those kind so, of... So what prompted you then to write this book? And we're going to talk about um, that next. Like thing. I say, I... Uh, because you're calling them the know-it-alls, and right? And 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 social wrecking ball. Those are kind of loaded. Those are loaded terms. Yeah, and obviously I wrote it before. Like I can't say the Russian meddling oh, our elections. Like why I wrote it? It was yeah. definitely not what I was thinking about. You know, I, I would say part. I think about like uh, I'm sure when I realized that Gmail. I know they would say right that it's only a bot. Maybe they don't even do it anymore. That only a bot was reading your mail. But thinking that like 
how I wouldn't really type that my mom had cancer in it because I just didn't really want that. Mm-hmm. You know, what would that lead to? And I guess I kind of always am trying to navigate that. And that was something that just made me think this is really a weird deal going on because obviously I love Gmail. Mm-hmm. I'm not so strong that I don't use it, mm-hmm. but I obviously think it's something really odd. Like why would someone sign off on reading your mail? Mm-hmm. And what would the world be like if they sort of said, we're going to protect gnomes and everyone's mail as if it were like some special package. We're not going to even look at it. We wouldn't even want to look at it. So I think that those things, you know, made me think something was going awry. Mm-hmm. And then the consolidation and seeing, you know, and, and seeing how Facebook, you, you hear just sort of stories, obviously. I mean, there's nothing is new to, to tell you about, but like, you know, even people being reminded of anniversaries in very ham-handed ways. It's just, it's just the scalability, the idea. I guess I've always thought that what I liked about Wikipedia or Craigslist, it's so funny to meet Craig. I once did a story about him out here. Funny guy. He's a funny guy. He has a little card, but he's a person, like he's a no, consumer. Know yeah, you know, he has this little card thing. He's a, you know, deals with customer service. And it's like, that's a very human thing. I felt like these things were getting really not human, and that was bothering me. Yeah, so this is what prompted the book. I itself. think so, yeah. And what was the goal of the book? We're going to talk in the next two sections about I think the, the goal of the book, I was try- uh, thinking about explaining, is that like, it's making libertarianism cool. And I was thinking, I, I saw John Markoff, an old colleague yesterday, and we were mm-hmm. talking about, like, he kind of pr- approaches his history through the hippie and the flower power kind mm-hmm. of story. And, you know, he was asking me even like, that's good, this in, this individuality. And of course I agree with that, but it's this not caring about the social uh, fabric that they're breaking. Right. So I kind of, I was very on for the, the fly, fly your freak flag part of it, but it's just the... That was a long time ago, John. I know, but... <laughs> John's been on our podcast. No, no, I know. And, but the, the, and that instinct's really good. But what happens when people who are sort of want to impose that kind of... Uh, individuality on everybody. And, and I think mm-hmm. libertarianism, as we can talk about, is a pretty scary philosophy and it was very fringe. Right. Right. And now I feel it's becoming very mainstream and that's very well, scary to me. Well, I think it's libertarian light, actually, is what yeah, I Yeah, I think it is. It's something called yeah. libertarianism. But yeah, yeah, but some of the issues are very yeah. biting. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you, so the, the, so the title Know It All, mm-hmm. explain that. Uh, it was my editor's idea. I think it's great because it had kind of two connotations, right? What uh, I remember describing my daughter, actually, who was asking me what a know it all is. Uh, five and a half, and uh, you know, it's not just knowing everything, right? It's just thinking you know everything, and and kind of wanting to uh, assert that knowledge on other people. And also, I thought it had a good double meaning because these companies want to know everything about us, mm-hmm. so they collect all that data. Mm-hmm. So I thought it just worked like in two ways: that they want to know it all about me, and they also think they know it all about the world. So mm-hmm. I thought it was an awesome title. It's yeah. a perfect title, actually. Mm-hmm. All right, we're here talking with Noam Cohen. His new book is called "The Know It Alls: The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and a Social Wrecking Ball." Perfect timing right now for the age we are in. When we get back, we're going to talk more about some of the ideas in the book, libertarianism, uh, privacy issues, political impact, and uh, the weaponization of social. Today's show is sponsored by GoCD, an open-source continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD, your team can release software more frequently, consistently, and reliably. Enjoy advanced traceability by visualizing your complex workflows from end to end. GoCD is open source and free to use. Professional support and enterprise add-ons are available from ThoughtWorks. For out-of-the-box continuous delivery, visit gocd.org slash recode. We're here with Noam Cohen. His new book, he was a New York Times columnist, and his new book is called The Know-It-Alls, The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and a Social Wrecking Ball. All right, Noam, let's talk about the meat of the book. Um, let's start with the political powerhouse part because that's been in the news a lot lately. This is a group of people who have enormous political impact and unfortunately much of it is is 
is toxic in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Let's, let's take that apart. What's happening from your perspective? So, yeah, I think when you talk about the, the libertarianism or the, the, the political power, right, it's, it's mm-hmm. the fight against regulation. And right. that's what's very scary to me. I, I, I mean, I was watching the hearings uh, about mm-hmm. the election, right? And whether and the Russian, recent hearings of Twitter, hearings. Facebook, and Google. Right. Yeah. And I thought there was a real, I mean, bringing up Al Franken here, he, mm-hmm. Senator Franken oh, really had a very, uh, like, uh, telling comment, uh, interaction with the, the counsel, the lawyer for mm-hmm. Facebook, where he said, can you just pledge not to uh, accept rubles for political ads? And, mm-hmm. and the lawyer said, it's a very good signal. We're really on it. Thank you for pointing out. And he said, can you just say yes, that you're not going to take ads? He was like, no, we hear you and, and we're going to work on that or something. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, why would he not say yes? But it kind of spoke to that arrogance that we'll figure it out. We'll do our algorithm. You stay out of it. So right. that's, uh, I think that's one sign of like just the lack of regulation. Other than the Koch brothers, I think Silicon Valley is the biggest proponent of, or, or critic of, of government regulation and mm-hmm. mocking well, of since unions. Since the beginning, since long. Since yeah, I think the other thing I was thinking about is, is um, in the book I talk about uh, how libertarianism is also an ideology that is, some would argue really devalues women. and has. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence that these are tech bros and not tech sisters, that mm-hmm. in essence, to believe in libertarianism, believe in this like kind of ruthless mm-hmm. uh, world, you have to believe that um, you get here as an adult miraculously. There's no mother who right. raises you, no mm-hmm. family. So I think that's a very dangerous, pernicious kind of view, but it's very common. I think mm-hmm. even the idea of living forever is, you know, which maybe Peter Thiel and others right. uh, talk oh, about, is a real way of kind of devaluing family and the way we are kind of historically from the day beginning of mankind, people kind. You know, how we come about? We don't. We're not. We don't will it. We don't just like use uh, other people's blood or sort of just live forever through medicine. We we're part of a community, and unfortunately, right. we die as well. Right. Yeah. So so the idea of where they are in the political, you know, they had these hearings, mm-hmm. and they, um, you know, I probably no regulation will come given that Congress can't do anything. Mm-hmm. They can't do the big regulation. They're not going to get to the lesser regulation. But what, where do you where does Silicon Valley find itself? Because one, at one point they want to get away from politics. They don't want to be part of it. They're always talking about not wanting to be part of Washington. On the other hand, they're spending enormous amounts of money on political influence mm-hmm. um, and finding themselves in really hot water. Uh, I feel like I talk hearings. in the book about like the, the politics of no politics. And, yeah. how, and I, I was telling a friend how like, you know, Rush has a famous lyric that, you know, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Mm-hmm. And friend told me that's actually Pascal mm-hmm. who came up with that before Rush. And, you know, I, I think it's a real fallacy to think. And I, I think they, it's often a way of disguising uh, libertarian ideas. I think of like Elon Musk had this tweet where he was sort of like, I take the best ideas from everybody. And it's like the best ideas from the left are, you know, gay marriage and, you know, legalizing drugs. And the best ideas from the right are like no regulation and, and low taxes. So that's just libertarianism. So mm-hmm. I think they kind of want to present themselves as not political because obviously they, it's sort of the old story with like Michael Jordan. Republicans still use Facebook and they don't want to be identified with one party. Uh, but I do think it's a, a fallacy. And we're learning that it has real costs, this idea mm-hmm. of like just stepping back or just neutral it allows you to be easily manipulated by people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. What kind of situation do you think they find themselves in? Is it, is it a, a situation where regulation will happen? I don't believe I do th- it will. I, know, I, and I See, totally I understand your skepticism, but like, I was really struck. I, 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 underestimating the talent of politicians seems to be a really good bet. I understand general. that, but I was really struck that John Kennedy, this Republican in Louisiana, mm-hmm. if you watched him, mm-hmm. asked him most trenchant questions possible. And I would like, maybe I'm kidding myself, think he's speaking for middle America, but obviously middle America is also the ones who are being, you know, strip mined by these companies. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not it's very good all word. the money is going to the board outside edges in New York and San Francisco and, and all the kind of local, you know, local stores, local advertising is being hurt in the middle. And he asked questions that, like to Facebook that were really, like he said, do you keep track of who is depressed? Can you tell who's depressed? 
Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, and he denied it, but I guess there's some paperwork that show they do. And he's like, would mm -hmm. you, is it wrong to give advertising focused on depressed people? Is it wrong to focus on overweight people and sell them candy? I mean, it was like really getting at these really important questions. So I thought, wow, it is kind of bipartisan. It's not just, you know, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world who are worried about it. Right. So I'm a little hopeful. But do you feel these companies are listening to the message in, in political, in the political sense? I think they're and always... And what will they do about it? Yeah, I think they're always are kind of hedging, right? So it seems like if they think anything's going to happen, they're going to kind of agree uh, beforehand. But I just, I just think there might be a consensus on this miraculously. But no, I think they will kind of grudgingly agree to, to regulation. I guess that will make things a little better. I think political advertising is too important. I, obviously, politicians are very concerned about political advertising. I think it might be the one thing they really will mm -hmm. act on. The other kind of questions about monopoly, yeah, I'm not that optimistic. I think that might be the other thing we need to do or controlling your own data. I don't know if they're going to do that. Those are things that really require mm -hmm. a consensus and a more, maybe if there's a democratic wave election or something, mm -hmm. things could change. But I do agree with you. And that kind of stuff is not going to happen. So the, it's, they'll, this world. they'll hew to the rules of political advertising. They'll be happy to so. give in. Yeah, to, to I think the, they have to. It's very, I wonder, I mean, then you wonder about like advertising like for children as well. Will that be another no brainer? I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't hit politicians quite as directly as political advertising, but advertising whether children are being exposed to ads seems pretty, there's been some real stuff uh, published online about that and about, how uh, the potential for like YouTube to really do you influence children. Do you feel like the people that run for them, do you understand this, that this damage that they've caused politically at least? And then we'll move on to... Uh, I actually, I guess I don't think they are. They do because I think that when I read, what I did for this book, I really read a lot of the comments mm -hmm. of everybody. And I read like mm -hmm. this amazing site that keeps track of everything Mark Zuckerberg's ever said since he's been 18. <laughs> It's okay. called the Zuckerberg Files. You have to register uh, for it. Okay. So read all that. I mean, I can't. I, I read. To I read to it. I remember it all. Uh, well, you read the text. I can't say I've listened to a lot of it. And mm -hmm. like you know, his his perception of reality. I don't know. He might. I think he might genuinely think he's doing good. It might be hard to shake him out of it because one hundred percent. Right. So that does. That's a little worrisome to think that he just isn't able to see reality. They all. I mean, it's interesting. I always think the DNA of a company starts at the beginning, and it's what kills them at the end. Really, you mm. know, it's the same exact thing, and it's always it carries through. And one, someone was talking about these Russia hearings recently. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's the 10th anniversary of Beacon, which you may not remember, but I do, because uh, I wrote about it, which was a, was a, a oh. privacy. They would publish what you bought uh, to, in order to up the ante on social discussion. Like it was trying to just populate your feed with something interesting. And so they would say, if you bought something, it would pop on your feed without your permission, essentially. And at the time, they found nothing wrong with this. And of course, privacy advocates went crazy and they started doing, it was all kinds of glitches. They would publish things people didn't want to know. And it was just such a over, it was such a massive overreach without any thought put into it. Um, and then they initially said it wasn't a problem and then it was sort of a problem and then it was okay, maybe it's more of a problem than we thought and that was let's close it. Like yeah. it was fascinating. And you can watch that one after the next over, well, I, and, over I and over again they do it. No, like, totally. With the Facebook Live, oh, there'll be no murders. Oh, okay, there's a murder. Oh, maybe we should have rules. Mo tools. Same thing with the Russia. Oh, we didn't know. No, there's no Russians here. Oh, wait, there looks like there's a Russian over there. Oh, there could be two. Oh, there's a lot of them. Maybe we should do something. That right. Seems. Aren't the, li I mean, the two like kind of liabilities that you're kind of focusing on are that A, I, and you read this in his comments, Zuckerberg, particularly that like they just believe people want to be connected even if they don't know they want to be connected. You yeah. have to give them stuff so they'll get addicted to it. And um, so, yeah, I do think that that is something that they're, they're not, he's not able to see the, the mm -hmm. problem. I think it's amazing. You look at a document he writes about how, how can Facebook deal with all the polarization 
in America, and you're like, this does is he even 9, have? Thousand word, yeah, thousand and did, there's not one mention that Facebook might have caused the polarization. No, of course not. So it's like what, you might not be assessing it correctly. Actually, Facebook's the solution. Right. I think it, my headline was this, Mark Zuckerberg's solution for problems on Facebook is more Facebook. Totally <laughs> right. And 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 I do think he. You know, the other thought that I kind of looking at the history and that the book kind of covers is this idea that computers are a closed world. Mm-hmm. So you know, the first program that like Mark Zuckerberg wrote was about it was a Julius Caesar program. And I think when you're in control of your of your screen, you kind of have these magical powers, up is down, whatever you, the rules are. And the scary thing, what I'm trying to say, the scary thing is when that mentality, which might work for programming, becomes like part of our, our world. So Mark Zuckerberg actually thinks up is down for, our, for us is a little scary. And that's also true for Sergey Britton, mm-hmm. Larry Page. They're more low-key, but it's the same kind of we know ultimate best. power. Yeah. yeah, we know best. We'll right. tell you. We'll tell you what's interesting and stuff like that. Um, let's go through all the other companies, Google. Sure. So they are like this. They're older now, mm-hmm. but they still had the same sort of break everything, but and who cares the cost kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, I do, I mean, I, you know this history, I'm sure, as well as I do, that uh, I was struck how idealistic they were at the beginning. And I do make a lot, and, you know, I was talking with John Markoff about this too, that, that early paper, he already went, um, Appendix A, and it's like, it's very well known that the, this paper they wrote when they were still students that said advertising was antithetical to a really fair search, and how, you kept, how it had to mm-hmm. be kept, you know, transparent in an, in an ivory tower, and to see how they were converted from that very idealistic viewpoint to this, incredibly practical, you know, money-obsessed version through, I would say, Stanford and the influence mm-hmm. of Stanford. That's another thread of my book. I feel like that's a real gap in the writing. As a historian, let's say, someone who studied history at school, there really isn't a good critical history of Stanford, and it's so important. I was asking librarians at Stanford, is there just a critical history of it? Not yet. Because, and ha- t- why is that the case? Um, this I is where a lot of Stanford University, where a lot of people went. Who right, went well, and I think they really, I, I give them a credit or, or lack of credit for producing this uh, entrepreneurial spirit and, and making everything be judged by how much money it can make. And I don't know, I think it's the same thing as these Silicon Valley companies, that there's just a good feeling about them. They're successful, mm-hmm. it's sunny, people are having fun. I mean, why, it's kind of, you are a little bit of a downer to go like, Stanford's actually scary. It seems mm-hmm. like a great place is making the world better. So. Yeah, yeah. So so Google, where are they now in this in this? Uh, I do think you, you, <laughs> that Google seems to be kind of hiding behind Facebook and letting they Facebook are. taking sure. all the bullets. Why and then why not do that? Um, but I think they're in the same kind of, uh, no, they have the same kind of issues and the same sort of uh, hostility to regulation and the same kind of um, ideology. Let's say Facebook's ideology is, is that connecting people is an inherent good. Facebook, Google's just like a freedom is an inherent good. And you know, I think we're learning that this, this kind of, this, again, it's a libertarian kind of argument that all speech is good or that the idea, let's say the European idea of the right to be forgotten is, is, is not important. Where to me, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It's not, it definitely violates this idea that all speech is should be shared and everything needs to be known, but it's like a value, it's a human value that's higher. So I feel like they don't really uh, value, they don't really respect that. And that's again, a libertarian idea that mm-hmm. I think we need to fight against. Right. It makes sense in the computer lab, I think, but mm-hmm. not in the world. Yeah, I was just arguing with someone about free speech and I was like, it's never been free, you know, truth in advertising, all kinds of things. Absolutely. There's all kinds of ways it hasn't been and there's been regulations for beach, not just fire in a theater. It's not just that. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's the kind of what I'm saying, the libertarianness uh, is leaking out to the world because, yeah, it, you, you feel like weird having to make that argument to people that, that there isn't absolute free speech, but mm-hmm. of course there isn't. There should be limits on political advertising because, I mean, there are a million things you can think of. Not even a fire in a, in a movie theater. Some people say that's just really like an alarm, but just there should be codes of conduct and also they're private companies. They can mm-hmm. make it civilized so people, women and and minorities aren't scared away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me. What about um, Twitter? So Twitter, right? Again, that's one where I, I feel like I also don't want to come off as a luddite. I think mm-hmm. about like look at how Twitter, in the positive way, like with the Me Too movement, it's it's really kind of 
amazing how yes. it's given uh, the support system. We're after Charlottesville. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I don't mean to like uh, trivialize that, but I think Twitter has the same kind of extreme uh, views where they won't um, they won't regulate and won't kind of kick people off for hate speech. And I think the second thing that Twitter embodies is that uh, the false incentives, right? I, I, someone um, writing a piece for the New Yorker and the editor there sent me this. Um, Yorker.com sent me this uh, tweet that talked about how when that Mark Zuckerberg was on a on a call, right, an investor call to say, we care so much about this manipulation, I want to tell my investors we're going to lose money over it. And someone just wrote on Twitter, well, doesn't that mean that you made money from it in the past? Yeah. So yeah. you have to take that. So I mean, I think Twitter has these huge incentives, just like people are saying, to have more bots, just to have more traffic. Right. And that's what's scary when the profit motive is, is affecting our speech. Absolutely linked to growth. Yeah. And so that's really scary. That should not be how we kind of have our marketplace right. of ideas. So that's right. another reason why Twitter is scary too. They're all three. So um, so talk a little bit about the influence that they're having. One of the things that I'm always struck by is, um, and we'll talk about more about solutions in the next section, but when they talk about social media, they, they don't tend to focus on the media part. They're always trying to say they're not media companies. Right. Um, they are media companies. Of they're course. a different, yes, you and I say, of course, mm-hmm. they say, absolutely not. We're platforms. We're benign platforms. Mm-hmm. We're just where people are. And to me, that, as I've said a, a million times over the past year, that abrogates responsibility uh, for wh- that they have and they need to, they need to take up as, as the owners of these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like saying, I have this bar where everybody gets killed. And it's not my fault. It's just a bar. Well, it's your bar right. and you created the bar and you made the rules and you don't, you don't make sure people don't come in with guns and you know what I mean? So it's kind of an interesting thing. So talk about that idea of their lack of interest in being called a media company. If they just say it enough times, they won't be one. Yeah. I think what, and again, what's scary to me about that is this idea that the free for all in the wild West. And again, maybe that was something that the early internet was great about it, that it was this place where you could experiment, anything could go, but turning our country into the wild West is really scary. And I'm not like, the, you know, the, the, there are all these various factors, but think about it, even with gun control and the way that that's kind of become this, it's just you, people, half the country or more look at this world like, what is going on? Are we, there, there's no rules? I mean, you could take this extreme attitude about for, uh, Second Amendment too. that just, I, my gun, I can do what I want, leave me alone. I mean, it's just, I feel like it's seeping out into our country where we're just losing any sense of, uh, of the ties that bind us and right. standards and values. So I think this idea that, that who, who would want a world where what's published is, is, has no, no one's thinking about it. There's no one vetting it. No one, even they are moving on, or I guess they're going to now try to start vetting it. But the other kind of dangerous thing is the scalability. You talked about growth. Mm-hmm. The idea of scale is just so scary because it really, it makes it not human. And I talk about AI in the book because mm-hmm. this very weak kind of AI is used for these kind of things, doing very trivial kind of sorting and not the human sort of sorting of what is good. But it's which, so big, it's hard to have. I know, but maybe here. it shouldn't be so big. And that's another kind of problem we're, we're paying the price for, their, their need to grow so much. We've cited All right, a we'll reasons. talk about that when we get back. We're here with Noam Cohen, whose book, The Know-It-Alls, The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and Social Wrecking Ball, uh, we're discussing. I also want to tell you about Two Embarrassed Ass, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. I'm in line at the airport. Yes, as usual, because you do not Waiting have in line. the pre-screening things that I do. Wearing mismatched socks. <laughs> I have to take my darn shoes off. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, obviously, what did we talk about this week? Wait, why do I have to take my laptops out? I, what? Anyway, going. we're talking about traveling with Karen Seidman-Becker. She is the CEO of Clear. Karen is actually here with me right now. She's 
trying to convince me that I should be using Clear. Karen, what did we talk about on this week's podcast? We talked about biometrics, how they're going mainstream, how they speed you through the airport, sports stadiums, and so much more in the future. Fingerprints, iris image, face, and much, much more. Gate. Gate. Gate with an I. With an I. DNA. Biometrics. Voice. Is the future people knowing your gait and identifying that by how you walk? And how you can streamline lots of different things using technology. Secure, frictionless experience. You know, people spend on average two years of their life waiting, waiting in lines. Wow. Lauren, you are wasting two years of your life. You're going to be so bummed But think one of day. all the tweeting I'll get to do. <laughs> Snapchat, Instagram, story. everyone follow my story from the airport. I'm waiting in line. Two years. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. It was a great discussion. We hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Noam Cohen. His new book is called The Know-It-Alls, The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and a Social Wrecking Ball. Uh, Let's talk about that wrecking ball. You just suggested it uh, because the growth at all costs mentality is really quite massive. Yeah, I guess, I I mean, you know, one of the kind of totems for that was this piece um, that Mark Andreessen wrote, I think, 2011, The Wall Street Journal, called uh, Software is Eating the World. Yeah, he loves that. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, to me, that's a very scary uh, document because it is, you know, he's a little, like, Parenthetical thought that we have to think about all the people are being displaced by this, but and you know we need more education and more training, and then he goes on from there, and it's like mm-hmm. this. I guess the way I think of it is the wrecking ball part is that it's almost like these are companies that are polluting. They're 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 all the benefits from Amazon and Google and Facebook mm-hmm. we can see, and all the the detriments, the pollution from it, we're all paying collectively, and that's mm-hmm. a real problem. That's always been a problem with companies that are unregulated. Again, that's not unique to them. No no company wants to be regulated, but. We need to find a way to pay for all the social costs. Right, exactly. That's how it's explained that problem. Yeah, that's the social wrecking ball part. There are these social costs that they are just shifting away. And until I think the Russian meddling in the election, we as a public weren't really seeing it. The way that you could pollute a river mm-hmm. and not care until it affects the drinking water. Then you're right. suddenly like, wow. I, feel, I think right. the bill... That's a really good a- analogy. It's yeah, like the, they're the, shoving dirt into the water. Mm-hmm. Saying that's not my dirt. Not my, yeah. And you know, you or, created the dirt, or exactly. my users created the dirt. I'm like, but you created a platform for that. That's a really good right. Thing. And then, I mean, and it, but it's also the thing about that kind of pollution idea is that it only it only triggers. You know, it doesn't immediately obvious as a problem. Mm-hmm. The first few times you pollute her, yeah, fine. You know. So what? Let's talk a little bit mm-hmm. about. So what are the things you're most worried about? And then let's talk about some of the solutions. Yeah, sure. I mean, most worried about. I guess I do think the. Um, Monopoly power to me is scary. I just think mm-hmm. that competition is good, and I do think it's funny that people haven't really focused on Peter Thiel. Like in his book, it's kind of hiding in plain sight that he talks about that every company should want to be a monopoly. Mm-hmm. That you don't want to be a competing. Yeah, he's then, looking for them. Yeah, yeah. Why and would so you? it's a yeah. Why would you? But it's like that's you know half the time they're denying. And he says in the book that you know zero to one that you have to kind of deny because people don't like monopolies. But mm-hmm. uh, that that monopoly power to me is very scary because it just limits all of our ability to have other choices. Sometimes when I'm on radio shows, people will question me and say, well, why would anyone do it differently than Facebook or Twitter if they were rivals? But it's like, you want different versions and you don't want the same consolidation. That's one thing that really worries me. Everybody loves a monopoly, except until they don't. Yeah, and then we see the cost of it. And I guess the the, the political advertising uh, story was also very scary. I think about children advertising too, something I just think about, Mm -hmm. because I've noticed with my daughters when we watch YouTube and it's just it, you, we used to have a system that said this was like a sphere that was protected and I guess YouTube would say how would we know or I mean maybe adults watch Peppa Pig too mm-hmm. I don't know but mm-hmm. it just seems like again it's just we're kind of abdic- you know abdicating uh, any responsibilities those those kind of things frighten me that how uh, so how do we fix this what is the what is the solution you know I was thinking for uh, a couple of these different sure. things is it, is it just 
Let's just regulate them. Enough. Yeah, I feel like... Or we're going to have to sue you. But it, it, to me, it, the, there's no political uh, energy to do that. Yeah, I wonder. I was, like, listening to uh, to my publishers, The New mm-hmm. Press, and they had uh, Michelle uh, Alexander, who wrote uh, The New Jim Crow, was there with Brian Stevenson. They were talking mm-hmm. about the power of narrative. He was talking mm-hmm. about in, in social justice and uh, the power of narrative, how the Civil War was won by the North, but the South won the narrative of it. I was thinking mm-hmm. how the narrative in Silicon Valley needs to change. That's kind of what I'm trying to do. And maybe I always sort of talk about more regulation and that maybe the better way to think of it is those, why can't we have a very individualistic view that says people control their data mm-hmm. and giving, making that the priority that you mm-hmm. should have a, like the way I was talking with a friend who's a doctor, you know, the way your health records are yours. Why can't your data be yours? I've seen that people are now focusing much more on data. There was an article in op-ed in the times about how we could tax them, mm-hmm. the data, the money made from data. But I think that that maybe that'd be a better narrative. I would ask you. To sort of talk about it in terms of personal mm-hmm. giving individual rights. I don't. I want to know what Google knows about me, and I want to decide if they can have it. And if I do like the fact that you know Amazon can recommend things to me, then I'll be fine with it. But right. if I, you have to make the choice. You have to make a choice. Make a choice. And, and I think what happens in. is it's so onerous and so complicated to make a choice is exhausting. They make it so exhausting for you, and it, it is. It is. It's like checking your credit rating or anything like yeah. that. You just did. It's one thing you just don't bother with because you get so much convenience on the other side. They make it so convenient for you on lots of like the whole. You know, it's interesting, Google Maps was just saying, can we take your map history? And initially I was like, oh, it'll be easier. And then I'm like, no, mm-hmm. you right. can't have my map history. Right. And no, like- you can't have this. Um, and so, and then one time I did it, now it appears all the time. I have to turn it off and clean it off. They now. keep they keep banging you? I mean, oh, they do, yeah. they keep banging at me mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. They've been asking me a lot. And I was really like, why do they keep asking when I said no? for the Because they're hoping I'll change my mind. Right, like right. I'll give in because it's the convenience of it is right. so great. Yeah, so maybe- and it is, you do get benefits. And it just reminds me many years ago when I when Steve Case was giving a presentation when he was running AOL, which was the big company at the time, um, is that... Um, he said, oh, we make $75 off of each user or something like that. There was some number. Of, mm-hmm. And I put my hand up. I said, when do I get my half? <laughs> like, yeah. where's mine? Right. Because it's me. You got, right. You're making your money off of me. You're my strip mining. Right. right. That's exactly the right word. Right. Um, um, so I thought that was an interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it, it is a lot. I, it's funny when you ask about conclusions. I've seen like a couple of, a couple other books, Critical of Silicon Valley, and they often fall back on, you have to value your time more. Don't let them mm-hmm. take suck your time. And again, that's also really hard to ask of people. Yeah, I think, you know, so I, I guess it would still require regulation, but something that would kind of empower people and kind of respect, create a res- zone of respect around people. Mm-hmm. So again, I guess it can't even be a transaction where they can say, look how much great stuff you get for us mining mm-hmm. your data, but really saying, we can't mine this data. It's right. yours. Right. And maybe you can give you. it, and you can selectively give it, I guess, if they, I, I don't know. But So that might be a way of doing it. But I also do think, yeah, regulation... And some other kind of values that respect our democracy, or I think right. the right be forgotten. I think Europe does have some real. Yeah, Marie, Marie, I just interviewed Margaret Vestager from oh. there, and she's amazing about that. Yeah. I mean, she's way ahead of it, and they would accuse her of being anti innovative or mommy state or something like that, and she's just being reasonable about your data. Like, right. I think much. they have more history with how it's abused, obviously, mm-hmm. in Europe and how, what, you know, what importance of protecting mm-hmm. your data. I do. I wonder whether it might be kind of a hopeless quest, but also I do think this kind of cult of efficiency is part of the problem. And I was talking with a friend that sometimes you know, the Bible kind of has this idea of gleaners where, you know, you're supposed to harvest your field once and let people glean off of it. Agnes Varda did a nice movie about this idea, documentary. And it's something a little obscene about always thinking everything the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. And not again, not thinking of the social cost or the ties that bind us together. So I do think at some point you'd hope that these respected leaders of these very important companies would see that themselves. So mm-hmm. maybe well, that's also too idealistic. They're, in, they're billionaires in yes. private planes. 
Yeah, they don't see a lot. With it's their true. own homemade kombucha. Do you think they're thinking about it first? And then they feel they feel badly. That's that's one of the mm. really interesting things. Is uh, I'll have so many meetings recently, and it's like we feel badly. Mm. And I'm like, fuck you. Like right. I, I really am. I'm like, no, I uh, oh, I'm too. so sorry. Right? Didn't she, like in, in Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook had like this thing where I'm really disappointed. Her. No, I'm she said like I'm very disappointed. And I that. That phrasing is also it's kind of like your mother or something. Yeah, or, you yeah. Know, it's just very. I wish the world. I have such better hopes for the world. Yeah, but it's the, letting me. You're down. running the place, right? Yeah. Like you're running. Like yeah. it's a really interesting dynamic that you do get these sort of delicate flower paper mache and mm. made of paper mache personalities. I feel badly. I Distancing feel bad. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I was like, don't you run the place? Own I'm it. Sorry, yeah. don't Own you it. Run, which is yeah. interesting. Um, and I do think it's part of the the juvenile toddler culture they build. I mean, they were joking about Donald Trump's White House being adult daycare, but sometimes I feel like. I think it's very apt. I have a friend who works at Google and she was telling me how she like, they were explaining the whole idea of these Google Facebook buses. I was down in Mountain View and she was saying how she went on the bus and was like, why is there no coffee? I need coffee in the morning. She's like, Oh, I guess I should make it myself and then get on the bus. It's right. Like, she yeah. doesn't even like open yeah. the idea that you, you know, yeah, that, uh, no, why are they not providing every, it for me? Yes, yeah. they're, they're used to everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, my other joke was that San Francisco, I say it all the time, was assisted living for millennials, mm-hmm. essentially. They create these comfort zones and then do not recognize that everyone doesn't live in them. That, yeah. You know what I mean? Which is I think in my book, I'm trying to say that that's kind of recreating the computer lab. Right. And the hacker that's mentality. Really good, yeah. And that, yeah. that's what's dangerous. All these kind of ideas. It's like that, Cheetos all night. Yeah. And it's like, you don't want these people running the world. Like, this might be a way to run a computer lab. So I don't know. So what do they have to get? What what has to happen? Because, you know, definitely Microsoft was chastened. I'm mm. not so sure Bill Gates was, but mm. they, they were. They were mm. pulled back from what they were doing. Um, well, then the government... Call, I mean, Yes, the, the government came sure. in. That's why. Yeah, they were chastened. Sure. Yeah, they were chastened, chastened for sure. saying they were brought to trial. Yeah. Um, but the, it, it did create a change in that company, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, is that what has to happen, or is there some adultness that happens? I mean, I think of a company like Apple. Mm-hmm. I find them to be adults when mm-hmm. I deal with them, and it's a different mentality. For, is it just a question and of growing up? people or? point out that like I don't deal with Apple, and, yeah. and Steve Jobs is not in this book, and I guess I do think of Apple as a hardware problem and has yeah. different kind of concepts. And it does seem like Apple, for almost strategic reasons, is acting like the adult, for sure, in mm-hmm. all of this. Um, I do think it's a lot to ask a company you know, or anybody, right? Isn't there some quote that it's hard for someone to see something that affects their own income? It's like mm-hmm. very hard for, I don't think Microsoft, even if they were chasing and see why they made the world better by break, mm-hmm. stepping back, it does take someone, uh, the government or someone to, to make do them something. do it. I do. Do, do you ever it's feel a, like a nag? I'm, I, I love yes, gold. Yeah. Yes, gold. Yes, gold. Um, I do. And I guess I'm always trying to stress that I do love these services. And yeah, I think it's easy, especially now where there's such a, Right, the tendency, there's so many kind of, it's the cool, the latest thing to say is to be this kind of a scold. And I guess I, I wanted to sort of focus, yeah, on, on the libertarian idea, something I could bring unique to the table mm-hmm. and maybe the history. But I do I do worry about being perceived as a scold. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, okay. Don't worry about <laughs> it's, it. It's, like, okay. it's working for you? It's, yeah. Well, it's worked for me for decades. <laughs> Very good, I like well, it. Well, no, I think, it's, I think it's a question of someone was like that and I was like, no, I just don't, I'm tired of you tramping over everybody's things and taking all the money. Right. Like, I, you know what I mean? It's like at some point... What you what you've gotten with Trump should not be a surprise. The populism, the people being upset. You're you're part and parcel to the entire thing, whether you think, think so, so or not. Yeah, I do. And it's and not the corrupt Democratic Party. It's not that nobody likes Hillary Clinton. It's that you have weaponized social. Mm-hmm. You have created an atmosphere of fake news. Mm-hmm. You've created, you know, and listen, you can lump Fox News in there. You can lump a lot of things sure. that have led to the thing. But it's a it's a continuing diminishment of intelligent conversation and debate among when you and do you feel like being called a scold like if if you're being called that, is, mm-hmm. is it kind of gaslighting or kind of manipulation? Oh, sure. sure. I think that is kind of one of the ways. You don't believe in innovation. I'm like, no, that's not and what And they always, are always acting so pleasant and like you're saying, yeah. so genial and like, like we're just <laughs> trying to make the world. I mean, I begin the book with that idea of saving, saving the world in this uh, 
Twilight Zone episode mm-hmm. where you learn that to serve man, man to, is, 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 is actually a cookbook. cookbook. Yeah, it's a cookbook. And Best you think episode you have of to Twilight be, Zone yes, ever. <laughs> I made that joke to them. I'm like, these are the people to serve man. And, and a couple of people get it. The olders, right. the olds get it. They're At like, least it's oh. a sci-fi reference. Yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, because you think it'd be very, and I think they are always exuding that. that it, yeah. it forces you to be very negative to say like, they want to help you, and I'm saying it's actually all fake. And who wants to be accusing people? Of, like, you yeah. may ask me about is Mark Zuckerberg lying? Right. I don't think he's lying. I think right. he's no, he isn't. But he's very deluded. I would right. say, you if know. I could say respectfully you, to you, the man, respectfully, yeah, you're deluded. Yeah. Um, do you? So, besides government thing, what do people have to do? Let's finish up on that. Like, what do you? What is a person that do? Say no more. Or not yeah, use I, I was. Them, I was just mocking the... that solution. I mean, I do personally. Like, I don't have Uber or Lyft, and and uh, on my phone. And Although like, they're more like utilities. They're not like um, you don't steer and become obsessed with your Uber and Lyft apps. No, but I just think, I, I'm one of the, I mean, Reed Hoffman was on your show. I was listening mm-hmm. to that. I mean, you know, I, I kind of, even though he's considered progressive, I make him a real uh, focal point because I think when he wrote a book called The Startup of You, mm-hmm. and he talks about it, like, no one's going to save you, not the government, not your employer. That's part of the harsh libertarian worldview yeah. and market view that I'm really talking about. So I, I understand why Uber and Lyft have great potential, but I don't think that's a really workable Yes. That's not a society I, I want to live in. I was literally just talking about someone. It's yeah. like, how can you change the DNA of a whole country? Which started in that way. So you Reed know. is just reflecting, I think, yeah. what, how our country started. We're coming here. No one's going to help us. We're going right. to beat the environment. We're going to beat the Indians. We're going to beat I the- guess you would say, wouldn't you say, I, I totally know what you're saying about America, but there's always been a, up and no. down. You know, there has been the New Deal. There have been the Great Society. It's I think very rare. Very rare in the progressive era. No, I yeah. totally get it. And usually it is only when things get so extreme mm-hmm. that we do have a reaction. So that's another reason. If you want to take the long view of history, that there. There should be, we should be react. there should be reactions. There should be evolving of people, absolutely. That's what, you're talking about, mm. can people evolve from something, but the heart of our country was, no, was no a doubt. very brutal start. Like, no doubt, no doubt. You know doubt. what I mean? And On so many levels. And sure. It just continued to be that way. Yeah. Um, and you, you just, I, I don't say this is brutal, but it's a different kind of... Um, am, I, am I being classist or something, but part of why this book was, the topic so interesting to me was that like, these are all college-educated you know, presumably studied humanities. Right. You're talking about like, yeah, when people go to the Wild West and they yeah. have no education, they're out there trying to make it work. And yeah. I mean, you sort of think, why Why are they having proposing such a harsh world? They've mm-hmm. had the best of America. They aren't, right. you know... Right. It hasn't been so hard for Reed Hoffman. Well, or- I think probably you're gonna you're gonna get them giving all their wealth away to library. It'll be like Carnegie. Mm-hmm. Like we don't we now say, oh Carnegie, oh Rockefeller, ah oh, this because they're giving they gave mm-hmm. away all their money. But at the time, of course, you don't wonder why you have to do all this a bad bunch stuff. Of son of bitches, right? right? Come on, like you break all these heads in order to make all this people, money and right. then to give it away later. Why don't you just cut out the middleman? Just, <laughs> you know, I don't really get it. Or cool create an too, environment. Right? So mm-hmm. so so what, so you said you're hopeful. Let's mm-hmm. finish on that. What does that mean? Uh, well, I'm hopeful because I think that maybe we people are waking up because of the events. Mm-hmm. I think I'm uh, hopeful because I do think there is another narrative. I guess I'm hopeful, you know, that a narrative that could be more humane and humanistic and not quite as cutthroat. And um, maybe I'm hopeful because after talking to you that, that I do believe there are cycles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may push back against that, but I do think the, there's been an ebb and flow. And we are definitely at the height of a kind of a robber baron era. And it did lead to the progressive era after that. Yes, there 100%. A, so but, I do, you know, and this sexual harassment stuff is part and parcel yeah, to I do the whole think thing. So I do think Trump, I mean, when I'm being optimistic, I think Trump is like inoculation. And maybe it is like, because we can't get rid of Trump for the sexual harassment because mm-hmm. he's our king. We don't have right. a system for getting rid of him. We can get rid of everyone else, though. Right. And that's and maybe that that's a reason to be hopeful. Although immediately there was a backlash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I literally have been in so many discussions now and it's like, now I can't say anything. And I'm like, no, you can't. Yeah, I was thinking, I was raised. It was so funny. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, the, why did I write this book that kind of talks a lot about, <laughs> about women and, and, and the kind of, 
anti, uh, you know, misogyny kind of inherent in libertarianism. And I was raised by my mom, you know, passed away while I was writing this book, was a judge. And mm -hmm. she was the kind of person who always said to me, you know, why do women wear hijabs? Mm -hmm. Men should have blinders on. I mean, mm -hmm. she was always sort of teaching me, the, you know, mm -hmm. the other side of that right. equation. So when you, people give you that pushback, it's just oh, you know, absurd. We can't, I mean, I mean, we can't say anything. You can't. Yeah, someone and they said, were, they like, were, I said, do you want me to say, oh, too bad for you? Because uh, you can't. Guess what? Let's stop talking about people's breasts. How about that? <laughs> yes, How about we start with that and we move on down the list? I it was, think that's it, but it's funny because that's immediately the first reaction from a lot of people here, which is interesting to the me. The Pence rule, kind of the, yeah. the site. I mean, Mike Pence it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is just, yeah, my mom would be like, why don't you just have women? How about uh, you don't do it? <laughs> yeah, or, or just have women if you can't, if men can't keep it together. Right, you know? that's yeah, true. Well, that's I think the only way it. to do it is to get in power. That's my mm -hmm. whole thing. Anyway, Noam, it was great talking to you. I recommend the book. It is called um, The Know-It-Alls, The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and Social Wrecking Ball. Um, and not in the Miley Cyrus Wrecking Ball, which is highly entertaining. <laughs> anyway, it was great talking to you. Thank you Likewise, for coming on the show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with some badass women like Katie Tour. Walter Isaacson is not a lady, but he's still badass. And Shonda Rhimes. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And thanks also to Cadence 13 and Vox Media. They sell those ads so you can listen to this show for the low, low price of free. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. Hey there, podcast listeners. It's me, Ashley Carmen, And me, Caitlin Tiffany. And we host a new podcast from The Verge called Why'd You Push That Button, where we discuss the weird social decisions technology forces us to make. For example, why did you like this celebrity's butt photo on Instagram? What's the point? You can find Why'd You Push That Button in anywhere you typically find podcasts like where you're listening right now. New episodes every Tuesday. So subscribe, push that subscribe button. Push it and we'll see you there. Hey, this is Anna Sale from Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios. Our show is all about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. And one of those things is class. Oh boy, class. Right now, we're collecting stories about when you've felt your class the most. My friends wanted to go to these expensive restaurants, and it really did drive a wedge. Tell us your story. Email or send in a voice memo to class at deathsexmoney.org.